Okay, this morning we're talking about love, right? First John 4, 8 and 16, God is love. God is love, right? Okay, so we, we ask this question. What are some of the things that are involved with love or actually make up love? What are some of them? It would, yeah, it's grace, definitely. Uncon- you know, and love is unconditional. But what else does it talk about? Yeah, it's who God is of his nature, his character, and essence. How many remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 13? Can there be love here? Can there be love here without suffering or pain? No, right? No, right? So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13 and what will help us to understand it a little bit better. I'm going to read it from the Amplified. This is in 1 Corinthians 13. And again, wherever you see in any translation where it says charity, that's not the original word at all. The original word is agape, and that's self-sacrificial love. So that's another thing that's involved in love, isn't it? So if, if there's sacrifice involved, does that mean then that there's going to be pain and suffering? And there is. So here's 1 Corinthians 13.1. If I can speak in the tongues of men and even of angels and have not love, that reasoning, intentional, spiritual devotion, such as inspired by God's love for and in us, I am only a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. <clears throat> and if I have prophetic powers, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose, and understand all the secret truths and, and mysteries, and possess all knowledge, and I have sufficient faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, God's love in me, I am nothing, I'm a useless nobody. Even if I dole out all that I have to the poor in providing food, and if I surrender my body to be burned in order that I may glory, but have not love, God's love in me, I gain nothing. Love endures long. That's suffering. There's suffering and endurance, right? Like if you run a marathon, is that just, you know, you may enjoy it, but is there not some endurance and in one sense some suffering? Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love is never envious, nor nor boils over with jealousy, is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love, God's love in me does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy ooh, or fretful uh-oh, or resentful. Ooh. It takes no account of the evil done to it. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice or, and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail, Love bears up under anything and everything that comes, is ever ready to believe the best of every person. It 
Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. As for prophecy, the gift of interpreting the divine will and purpose, it will be fulfilled and pass away. As for tongues, languages, of course, they will be destroyed and cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. It will lose its value and will be superseded by truth. For our knowledge is fragmentary, incomplete, and imperfect. And our prophecy, our teaching, is fragmentary, incomplete, and imperfect, obviously only in the sense that we're going to learn about Christ for all eternity. But when the complete and perfect total comes, the incomplete and imperfect will vanish away, become antiquated, void, and, and superseded. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Now that I've become a man, I am done with childish ways and have put them aside. For now we are looking in a mirror that gives only a dim, blurred reflection of reality as is in a riddle or enigma. But then, when perfection comes, we will see in reality and face to face. Now I know in part and perfectly, but then I will know and understand fully and clearly, even in the same manner as I've been fully and completely, clearly uh, known and understood by God. And so faith, hope, love abide. <clears throat> faith, conviction, and belief respecting man's relation to God and divine things. Hope, joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation. That's a good description of hope, by the way. It's not like the English word, I hope, and it may or may not be true. But hope here is joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation and love, true affection for God and man, growing out of God's love for and in us, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And what was the thing that God, that Christ himself had, in a very strong sense, in a strong sense, against the church of Ephesus in Ephesians 2, verse 4. They left their first love. Remember what first love is. It's not that they left love completely. It's that they left their first love, the first Uh, glow, the first light, the first beauty of that love that God had for the individual. They left that. And that's what happens to us. You know, we begin to withdraw. And when we do, those are the things that happen. Those are the things that take the place of that kind of love, right? And when that happens, and, and love in itself, if we understand it in 1 Corinthians 13, the first verse, love is not like a clanging cymbal, right? Or a sounding brass. It's not, it doesn't, it's like beautiful music. There's a beautiful flow. The notes of it are very beautiful beautiful and very expressive. It's not like some noise. And that's what happens when we get away from the freshness and the first beauty of his love for us, which is extremely intimate and powerful, 
we begin to get noisy. We begin to give place to all this other noise that's outside of love. And that takes the place. And it's like we become what we give ourselves over to, a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And I could have all prophecy and understand the mysteries and knowledge and have all faith so that I could even remove mountains. But if I don't have love, what am I? A useless nobody. Is that truly who we are? Is that the expressive love of God? And like in a musical description of who he is in us and who we are in him. Is that truly who we are? No. And I can give all my goods to feed the poor. I mean, how many times have we seen that in our lifetime? These so-called philanthropists that have nothing to do with God, want nothing to do with God, even, even strongly anti-Christ and anti-God, give millions to the poor. Really, it just becomes an expression of themselves apart from God because God is love. Love isn't God. Right? And then they, it's, it's just some expression, falsely, of some glory that they think is in themselves. <clears throat> and though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and although I give my body to be burned, and, and have not this self-sacrificial love that is only from God as its source, it profits me what? Nothing. Because there's no profit in the flesh. There's none. And, uh, and when we withdraw from the freshness of his love, not that we don't love him, but then we begin to withdraw in the areas of the flesh. And then the flesh, those areas begin to compete with, the, with that first love, that intimate, energetic, uh, bright love, that first love that he has for us continually too, by the way. The intensity of the love that Christ has for us I mean, honestly, it doesn't, it does never decreases. And that just means he's, he's always seeks the depth of this intimacy with us. And that's what he's constantly calling us into. And when we have that, look what it does. You know, instead of something, the noise of the world system profiting me nothing and, and telling me, speaking a music to me that you are a useless nobody. But that's not the music of God's love in, in and through Christ. But, you know, of course, what profits us? Nothing in John 6, 63 and Romans 7, 18. It's the flesh. And that's what the world system, it, it appeals to the unsaved and the world system appeals to the flesh that's in the believer. We're not, we're not of the flesh in Romans 8, 9, but it's in us. And when we lose the freshness of his love, the brightness of it, the intimacy that he so desires with us, what do we, we go to something less than that. Not that we left an understanding that he does love us, but we left the first freshness of it in ourselves and we begin to withdraw. And <clears throat> so instead of operating that way, we can operate in Christ because, and then what? Love what? What does love do here? It's one of the things we said. It suffers long. It endures. There's some suffering in endurance. Like we said, like the athlete that will run the marathon. 
And even before that, there's preparation. There's the preparation of suffering in that sense to prepare the body to enter into the race. But love, who God is through Christ, expressed in the highest sense, suffers long. I mean, the, the greatest demonstration of the love of God was in Christ on Calvary. That was the greatest suffering. When all of hell would do its worst, uh, all the demons, Satan and all the demons, and everyone that he could get to hate Christ, the height of the hatred of mankind, there the love of, of God through Christ on Calvary was demonstrated. And it's much more powerful. So, so, so what? Love suffers long. You know why? And you know why it suffers long? Because it's kind. It's kind. And it, and it never envies. You know, envy. Mur- envy, and it really, in the meaning of it, has, has to kill and to murder through intense jealousy and through intense lacking something that you see in someone else. And because you don't have it, you want to eliminate them. Isn't that what the world and the religious system under the power of Satan did to Christ? They said in John 18, 40, not this man. They cried out, the religious system cried out in John 19, 15, crucify him, basically murder him. That's what envy does. But you see here, as we can see, it envies not. It vaunts not, right? It doesn't vaunt not itself. It's not very rash in its, in, in, in its conversation. The words that it speaks are not rash. It, they, it vaunts not. It, it vaunts not himself and is not puffed up. It's not puffed up. See, and that's why it's very necessary for those that are newly come to the faith. And that doesn't mean just when you receive Christ. It means newly come to the faith in 1 Timothy 3, 6. It just simply means you're new. These teachings are new to you because it takes time. It takes time for that knowledge to, to, be, to begin to enter into an experience. And that speaks of an, an intimacy that we need to grow in. And that's why it says not a novice. Not a novice. Why? Because it's not long enough. There's, there's not enough experience. So, so it's not puffed up. And when we get puffed up, what do we fall into? According to here in 1 Timothy 3, verse 6, the condemnation of the devil. Now, is God condemning us? No. But here's the devil who is, who is the very definition of pride. When he can get a believer to function in the flesh through pride, through his subtlety, then what will he do? He'll condemn. He'll accuse. In Revelation 12, 10, he, he accuses the brethren. So we see it's not puffed up. When, when that love, the love of God through Christ and intimacy is in us, it protects us, doesn't it? And it keeps out. It keeps out all these things that we're describing. The word of God here is describing. It doesn't behave behave itself unseemly, right? It seeks not her own. And you ever wonder why, you know, when when there's love, 
And, and here it says it seeks not her own. Why does it say her in that sense? Well, because we're the church. Christ is the initiator. We're the receiver. So, and we're his bride, right? And when we have that love, what does, it, what does it do? The love that comes from Christ in intimacy for us, what does it do? It causes us not to what? Seek our own, right? And then what? It's not easily provoked. It's not, e- it's not touchy. It's not irritable. <laughs> why? And why? Because it thinks what? No evil. Right? Love thinks no evil. God thinks no evil. Not the author of it. He doesn't tempt men with evil. He can't be tempted with it, neither he tempts any of anyone with evil in James 1.13. But every man is tempted with evil when he's drawn away of his own lust and sin. And when that's finished, it brings forth death, as that's brought out. And and because that, you know, and because we can endure temptation. But the only way we can is what? Is the protection of love, which keeps out evil, which keeps the flesh out. So blessed is the man in James 1.12 that endures, see? Suffers long in temptation. For when he's tried, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. There's a reward. That reward is a depth of intimacy and love, which nothing can interfere with or distract and keeps us very safe and secure. It's not easily provoked and thinks no evil. It rejoices not in iniquity. Mm, see? Pride and iniquity, right? Iniquity, okay? Iniquity is brought out in Ezekiel 28, verse 15. That was, that was Lucifer before he fell and became Satan. He was perfect in all his ways. What were his ways? Obedient. Obedient love. We talked about obedient love. We know that God loves us. And measure. How do we know that we love God? We can't aside from obedience. We just can't. And so in Ezekiel 28, verse 15, Satan was perfect. He was perfect, complete in all his ways. In, up until that point, in terms of obedience, it says, until iniquity, iniquity was found in him. And iniquity is, is me making a provision for my will to reign superior to God's will. It's making a provision to replace God's will with my own will. That's iniquity. Okay? It thinks no evil. It rejoices not in iniquity, but, and there's the separation, rejoices in the truth. Right? The truth. Bears all things. It bears up under what? All things. Then when it says here, believes all things, what is that supposed to mean? Now, does it disbelieve everything, truth and evil? No. No. It believes all things as spirit taught. Now you get into 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 through 6, verses 9 through 16. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the mind of man the things that God has prepared for them that what? That love him. There's an exchange. He first loved us. And in, in 1 John 4.19, so now we love. What a protection there is. There's a protection. There's, and so we see in this sense here, it bears all things and it believes all things. In other words, 
It believes all things and can discern, can discern good and evil. Only through intimacy in Christ, in our position and in our proper understanding and in our proper experience and in our proper growth. We, can, we believe all things. Now, that means we know the difference between good and evil. We just know it. Without, without any touch, being touchy or irritable or being overwhelmed, right? We, it believes all things. It hopes all things because Christ is in us. We have this hope. So Christ in us, the hope of what? Eternal what? Yeah, eternal glory in Colossians 1.27. And then in that sense, it endures all things. It suffers and goes through all things. Why? Because love never fails. It never fades. It never falls. And uh, we see all those things that, we, that, we, that were said here. You know, but, but whether there be prophecies, they'll fail. Whether there are tongues, all these languages, they'll cease. We're only, going to, we're only going to hear one language for all eternity. You know what that language is? It's the language of the Lamb. It's called love. An intimate love that e- each individual has has, has been revealed to us in Revelations 2.17. There's an intimacy of, of a fellowship and depth of love that each individual have. Each individual will have. But we'll have this fellowship for all eternity with each other. But it, can o- it would only be based upon the intimacy that that individual in Christ can only have. Pretty awesome. And so whether there be knowledge, it will vanish away. The only knowledge that there'll be will be the knowledge of a love, that love that will pass continually knowledge. And that's Ephesians 3 verse 19. It will vanish away for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, and that's Christ, and that's our individuality, that's from now on in eternity, we'll be face to face with him, then that which is in part will be done away. Wow, there'll be no more questioning, just constant receiving. There'll never be another question we'll ever have to ask because we'll see him face to face. He, the answer the same answer for every other question, for every question we ever had. And, and so, but, but when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, what did I do? I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, this is experience. This is intimacy. The intimacy of being loved. And this is where we're growing in grace and knowledge in 2 Peter 3.18. What? In that sense, I continually put away childish things as I grow. I continually put them down. For now we see through a glass darkly. Now we see by faith in the word of God. But, when, but then face to face. Right? then our new, our new faith continue will be a perfect eternal sight and an exchange of an intimacy with, with the individual with Christ and then also corporately for all eternity as the church, the bride, the body of Christ. Okay, then now I know in part, but then will I know even as also I'm known. That's going to be on a, in an eternal way, nonstop this love. Now abides faith, hope, and what? Love. These three. But what is the greatest of those? Is love. Because without that, would there be any 
Would there be anything to depend upon or hope? Would there be anything to have assured glory? And there wouldn't be. Suffering and pain and love, right? There's going to be, but we'll, have, we'll experience the eternal results of it. And that of results of it for all eternity because we'll be face to face with face to face with him who did it all for us and gave us the privilege to do it here. And, and suffering is on our way to what? It's glory. We said it last night, I think, in Romans 8, 18, for I reckon, I count up. I, it's logizomai, I, it's counting term. I counted all up the suffering of all this present time and it won't even be close to being revealed, uh, close to be, being compared to the glory that will be revealed in us and on us. Right? And then in 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer with him, that's even now. That is now, by the way. If we suffer with him, we will what? We'll reign with him, supreme above everything, protected. Right? Amen? Okay. Well, Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you that we could come in here. And I just pray, Father, that these eternal realities, the truth of your love for us, in, manifested in and through Christ, would be the intimacy that we experience today. And that we, God, please, that we would, in our weak, feeble way at times, but still return that love for you. In Jesus' name, amen.